You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. Well, food is my passion, and I think that that you can have a huge impact there, both from a sustainability point of view and a nutrition point of view. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I get up in the morning because I I want to I want to be a part of the change. Yeah. Why did nutrition become a focus of yours? Like, what initially drew you to that world? Well, because I think it's something that's very much overlooked, even though it's such a fundamental part of our lives. Um, you know, so many people have enough food, but they're still malnourished. And I think that's a shocking state for the food system to be in. Um, and I think it's our responsibility as food producers and food innovators to change that because you know consumers don't always know the ins and outs of what they're eating. So it's our responsibility to make sure that we're providing you know the right nutrition and all round nutrients for for people and and giving them access to it. So it's, some nutrients are even just scarce and expensive and inaccessible for a lot of people and and that's not I mean that's not fair. So you know, you know, how can you change that? That's basically basically why I why I started the company. Yeah. Do you do you think that the food system has more visibility on it today or it continues to be something that we kind of take for granted because it's always it's always been there. We're kind of consuming things without much thought. Like where do you think the state of things are from your point of view? I think it really depends where you are. I think some some markets are really good. I think Europe's pretty progressive and pretty forward thinking. Um, I think it has a lot to do with their consumers. They're sort of pushing for for better nutrients and more sustainable nutrients. I think other countries, especially, especially developing countries, maybe don't have the luxury to even be concerned about stuff like that. And I think um, that's a huge disadvantage. I mean, you still get very developed countries that also, um, I think, either don't care or pay attention to the foods that they eat. And, and it very much tells in the in the health status of the country. So I think it really depends. Um, but I think, I think it's, I don't think the food system is very transparent and I think it makes it very difficult for consumers to know. Um, and it's unfair to just expect them to, to go dig for that information because it's something that they walk into a store and they can buy yeah. and, and we're providing that insight to them. Yeah, that's great. So can you talk, take us back to the founding of DeNovo? You're one of four co-founders. Uh, you're a technical uh, founder. Can you tell us just a little bit about how that group came together? What maybe kind of the the sort of founding conviction was, like what you guys believed in and how that's evolved uh, to the current day? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're four co-founders. Three of us are, are technical um, and one one business person. Um, thank goodness for him. Um, <laughs> we actually have yeah, a pretty crazy founding story. So Jean and myself, um, we had started a company before this. Uh, so we've worked together and then journey and richard um are good friends and they and they were starting a company um in another city in south africa and then someone in our lab um said told us that th that they knew of someone else also doing this in johannesburg and we should meet um and then i happened to go to johannesburg for um for a family event and i met up with them and i, I met them once and we had one phone call and like the vibes were just so good and we were just so aligned on what we wanted we didn't actually really speak much about the ins and outs of the companies. We just really were very aligned on on the impact that we wanted to have. 
and the next week we had started the company and I must say we've been we've been pretty lucky that it worked out because it was a pretty bold bold jump um but yeah we we're very lucky that we, we aligned on our mission and I think that's why it's worked out so far that's cool yeah it seems yeah. like when you know you know and the fit was sounded like it was pretty obvious very quickly huh yeah we we based a lot of our decisions on on good on good vibes and feelings and a bit of gut feeling because and it's it's brought us this far so I think it's, it's a good good litmus test yeah the gut is often right um what were the what were some of the things that you guys aligned on in those early calls like what it, it sounds like purpose and and maybe even the route to get there yeah I think purpose was was very evident and I think when you're working in an impact space that's pretty much across the board but I think there were some things that we were really adamant about and it was I think things we didn't like in the food tech space and it's like dishonesty lack of transparency um glorifying what things can do setting these like grandiose expectations and and I think we really wanted to be more transparent and realistic and and practical and I think that was a huge thing for us because it, it spoke a lot to our, to our values and, and how we want to go about business and how we want to create our business and, and how we want to tell people the story which is the truth and not people get caught up in it and they can sort of start spinning uh, f- fabricated truths um, and I think that's something that we were very aligned on from the beginning and that's that sort of been very fundamental in our decision making fabricated truths are running rampant um in this space so it's nice (laughs) that you're against those uh i share that i share that concern so i'm just picturing three technical founders and one sort of uh business founder who's trying to wrangle you and trying to take this to market i'm guessing with three technical founders that's a lot of innovative firepower you probably had a lot of different paths you could pursue did you have certain kind of ideas that you started to go down and then you made pivots on as you saw like where this was going to go and how the market was going to hit like how did that progress yeah definitely I mean so there's two of us that are scientists myself and Joni uh Richard is an engineer and then Jean is 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 a business person um so between Joni and myself we have a lot of wild ideas and then we have a very practical engineer that sort of does does the excel spreadsheets and tells us whether that's actually going to make sense um so so we started with whey protein which is very impactful from a, a scale point of view um but in terms of um numbers and and sort of what it costs and its value it's very low um so it's, to use a technology which which is quite expensive doesn't really make sense so we pivoted quite quickly out of that and moved into to high value proteins um and and what was really cool about that is that we could actually leverage the technology to to make proteins more accessible and bring the cost down as opposed to taking cheap proteins and making them more expensive. Um, so I think, I think between the four of us, it's sort of, yeah, we have, we have our, we have our wild ideas coming from the science side and then very practical engineers and, and business people steering us in the right direction. Tell me about the high value protein. Like what, where did you arrive and where are you focused at today? Yeah, so the protein that we've um, worked on the most is lactoferrin. Um, we actually we were working with some commercial partners, and they asked us if we if we could make it uh, for them. And we sort of started investigating it more and more, and realized just how much you can do with it. Um, so it's it's a protein that's found in breast milk um, in all mammals, 
and it's very important for infants. So it's important for immune development, cognitive development, um, iron transportation, um, bone development. We actually have a, a joke in the office that like, you know, what, what can't lactoferrin do at this stage? Um, and a lot of research has also come out and shown the benefits that it has um, for adult nutrition and elderly, elderly nutrition as well. So um, we really started delving into this whole world of lactoferrin and what you could do when you can actually produce it um, more abundantly and more cost effectively and just, you know, all the doors that it opens from from a nutrition point of view. So that's that's the protein that we're working on. Um, but we've got other ones in the pipeline as well that are that are also going to come to light soon. Yeah. So it sounds like you have you have this path on lactoferrin. It's it's a it's a high value protein. It's it's like the super protein. The obvious market is for infants, but you're also seeing all these benefits for others who may have not had access to lactoferrin. Um, so in terms of like your go to market and and where you're sort of starting, what your beachhead is, is it infants or is it is is it another market? I believe it's I believe we've talked about it. Sports yes, nutrition yeah. as being like, which I think is so smart. Can you talk a little bit about how you arrived there and, and why you're starting there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the obvious market is is infant nutrition just because just because of the impact and its current usage. Um, but there's a lot of additional regulation layers on top of that that make it a bit longer to go to market and for good reason. Um, so sports nutrition is our first uh, market um, just because of the immense benefits that it can have on the body. And it's shown a lot of benefits for improving things like performance, recovery, uh, muscle fatigue, and mental fatigue. Um, so it really, and I mean, athletes are always looking for for that that thing that can just you know make them that much better and perform that much faster. And and I think recovery is also really really important um, in 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 the athletic space. So that's the first market we're going for um, because it can have such a big impact there. Um, and then just into to supplements as well. And then we'll follow on once the regulations are approved into infant formula, which is 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 where the where the big impact is as well. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how this is going to market. Will it go to market as a brand, uh, as a de novo brand? Will it go through partners? Like how is this, how will consumers actually see this for the first time? Yeah. So so we're going to go through partners. Um we we looked at doing a brand ourselves. Um, but you know, when you have such a technical product i mean there's so much deep tech that goes into it you really have to focus on your core competencies and so we really want to leverage our partners who understand them their markets and their customers needs and have built trust with their customers um, and, and leverage their their pathway to market as well and and it's also been really valuable for us also to understand their requirements when it comes to products and that's helped a lot from the development point of view as well just in sort of developing a product directly for for our customer which is b2b um it sort of informed a lot of our decision making very early on which i think has saved us a lot of pain down the line so yeah consumers will find it in sports nutrition products from big brands um and one day an infant formula in brands that they already know trust and love that's cool. One of the trends yeah. that I see um, from my point of view in the food tech space is that oftentimes it starts as like a, a B2C uh, play um, and then quickly find out like, boy, we I don't know if we can do it all. And and we really have to like change ourselves from a technology company to like this a brand. Right. Um, but as they used to make that switch over to B2B and go through partners as their distribution to market, usually that B2C effort showed some credibility 
um, to help smooth those conversations, get it there. Do you feel like it is, does it sound like, it sounds like you made that choice early to not go down the brand path because you just knew kind of how expensive it could be and how much investment it require. And it's a completely different competency. Did you feel like as you were having the B2B conversations that you had to speak to what you thought the acceptance of this was, or were the partners already coming with that saying, oh no, if we could just get our hands on this, this would be great. Like how did that, how did those conversations develop? So we've had a bit of both. We actually did go down the B2C route and we did a lot of the legwork. We have products that are pretty much waiting waiting to go. We just haven't hit um, hit go on them just, just because of the cost for, for marketing and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but we did a lot of consumer research, um, which has been really, really helpful with, with B2B partners. So, so we can leverage that information and the branding and the brand acceptance from, from a perception point of view for, for our partners. Um, I mean, some people came to us and they were like, we've done the research. This is what we're looking for. Others, you know, they were like, we don't really know, like, what do you think? And then we sort of leveraged um, all the information that we had already found um, and how we had segmented it. And that sort of has helped also a lot with a lot, a lot of the negotiations. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I think anything in a startup is uh, whatever you do is never, never a waste. It'll always right. be repurposed into something else. Um, so it's, it's always a lesson and it's always, it's always applied somewhere else. So it's <laughs> That's the trend I've seen. I have yet to see somebody who said, uh, we went down the B2C path and I regret it. It's always like, oh, and it helped us in these ways. Like it, it's so true. It's like using every ounce of energy and production for something, right? Do you do you think uh, as this stuff starts to hit the market, do you think that somebody who is one of these athletes who's trying to look for an edge, you know, they're just looking for that, you know, half of a percent improvement or whatever it's going to end up being. Do you think they'll be looking for products that have lactoferrin in it? Or do you think they'll be looking for the benefits that lactoferrin produces, but they're unaware there's lactoferrin in it? What do you think that will look like? I think likely the second option, to be honest. I mean, I think there are some products that already have um, bovine lactoferrin in it or, or, or colostrum proteins. Um, I think, I think the people that go that deep into the ingredients, it's, it's pretty niche. Um, I think people are looking for solutions and that's, and that's sort of, you know, lactoferrin has a lot of functionality, so, so it can cater to a lot of those things. Um, you know, I guess it's, it's going to be a bit of legwork in terms of marketing and education from, from our partners when they take it to market. Um, so I think likely they'll probably just advertise the functionality as opposed to protein but you know then again you know creatine has its has its whole marketing thing attached to the name so perhaps perhaps with with some good education behind it it can also just carry its own weight and everyone just yeah. already knows exactly what it does so yeah do you feel like it's critical for there to be like this outstanding success and acceptance with sports and nutrition or is it really just like hey you just need kind of like moderate acceptance and because really the big prize here is, is for infants. I mean, it, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, we want, we want good acceptance as well. With sure. We want it all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think infants, are, it's very important, but I think, um, you know, with the functionality that lactoferrin can do, it can do so much more than just that. Um, so I think it is important for it to, to also work really well there and also just just normal adult nutrition as well so from a, a supplement point of view that's also yeah. um big um, avenue for us as well um and just showing what it can do from a from a, a health immunity general you know well-being perspective 
So I think it is it is definitely important. And I think when you consider an ingredient that people are familiar with and it works, it does also make it a little bit easier for them to think that it'll also be good for their infants. You know, so it's sort of like you gotta you gotta start start somewhere, right? And it's gotta gotta be a su- success there as well. That's cool. From you you talked about just your passion for like accessibility as well as sustainability of this. Like if if de novo didn't exist and nobody else was making moves in this space, like what would the world be missing out on from an accessibility? Like who would not have access to this? And also just from a sustainability, like what would be the cost of not having this innovation available? Like paint, help us paint a picture for that. So, so for example, with, with lactoferrin specifically, um, so the infant formula market's a very easy one to paint a picture with because it is it is missing in a lot of products there. So, you know, a lot of mothers can't breastfeed. So in infant formula, only the premium, premium, premium um, infant formulas have lactoferrin in it and the rest don't. And you said they're missing out on like immune regulation, um, immune support. Um, it's also really, really important for developing um, your brain as a cognitive development. So all those aspects that are really fundamental from an infant, um, from infancy already is is being mis- is missing out in um in infant formula, which is it's tragic that it's not in those products. And you can actually do that now. And it's it's very expensive, but it's also scarce because they produce it from from huge, huge amounts of milk. And so the market just doesn't have enough of it either. So there's just not enough of the product for all the infant formulas. Um, so that's a market that already is like it's it's pretty dire without it. Um, from a sustainability point of view, uh, so we did an LCA um, recently, and we showed that so because this protein uses so much milk to produce so little of the protein, um, the sustainability impact is pretty harsh. Um, so it by using this technology, we we showed that you can reduce the the greenhouse um, gas emissions by ninety five percent which is huge, like, and potentially even more, um, but 95 to 99% reduction is, is enormous. Um, so that's a huge footprint that, that you can alleviate just from, just from one protein. Yeah. I mean, that really helps put it into perspective for me. It, if you think about like, uh, a developed country, you know, a wealthy country like, um, United States or, 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 you know, some in Europe or South Africa or where, what percentage of um, of infants do you think are getting formula that lacks lactoferrin because of its scarcity and its expense? Like, do you guys have numbers on that? When you look at the infant formula market, it's it's really only the top, the cream of the crop that has it in there. So, I mean, that should tell you already what what people are. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean it sounds like the majority then lack access to this, right? Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because if you look at... Um, China, for example, because they had a scandal in their infant formula um, a few years ago, they actually, consumers are now pushing for for premium products. So you find it a lot in the Chinese market, which is quite interesting, mm. just because of because they're now aware of, you know, the, the impact of having nutrition in infant formula. So it's just through that scandal, now they're super aware about it, and you can find it a lot in, in China. But in the Western world, it's still quite unknown, which is, which is pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it does make it seem like <laughs> sometimes when we talk about accessibility, we're talking about people who are underserved. This sounds like people who are doing just fine in life still lack access, right? That's how that's how yeah. kind of rare it is. 
and, and right well that's what's so crazy about it is like when you look at the world you think malnutrition is only people that are not getting enough food but malnutrition is is rife among people getting even too much food it's just not getting the right foods and so i mean i'd like to furnish just one example but there's there's many examples of of nutrients that we're just not getting um and i think also i mean we we came from it from a sustainability point of view um, you know as people are moving away from from animal protein you know moving just to plant proteins like what what then like there are really functional proteins that come from from animals that you're no longer getting and like what is going to be the impact on on the population as we move away from from these functional proteins and just consume plant-based protein and i think you know the 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 impact can't can't be ignored yeah. do you do you think the opportunity for lactoferrin is so big that you can see this being just like years of effort to like make sure it gets as far as widely distributed as possible or are you already starting to eye like other proteins that are interesting to your team? Like, is it a little bit of both or kind of where are you at from that? Um, it's a bit of both. So I think with accessibility, the market is just going to grow um, uh, inevitably. But when I mean, we are looking at other proteins, so we've got other proteins um, in the pipeline um, that we're developing. And we're also looking, we're also working with other technologies. So we're working with bioinformatics, which is basically computational biology and basically working with, biological data and making sense of it in big data sets to sort of improve functionality, structure, stability, taste um, of food. Um, so we're not just working with precision fermentation. That's sort of just our our, our, our primary um, technology that we're working with. But um, we have then subsequently started working with, with bioinformatics because that really does allow us to leverage a lot more ingredients and improve a lot more current food products that's not just necessarily going to be produced using precision fermentation. Yeah. So from my perspective on the outside of this, I'm not, you know, I'm not an industry insider. It seems like we've kind of been doing this about the same old thing, small incremental improvements. And all of a sudden we're about to make a pretty big shift here. Is that a function of the science just hitting another level and we can just do things that we could not do, or is it just this awakening of, we got to do something about the sustainability of this. This is not, we cannot continue down this path. Or is it both of those coming together and really coming together and really taking us up to the next level? Like what, what do you think on that? It's a, I think it's a combination of things. So I think the science is definitely there now. Um, and in a lot of ways it has been there for a while. I mean, they use precision fermentation to produce um, therapeutics, um, they use it to produce insulin, for example. So, so the technology has been around. It's just been, I think, too expensive and very niche. So it's only been used for, for, for medicine and for medical purposes. I think what's what's been quite cool is that people are starting to dabble in different fields and it's not so siloed anymore. So you get basically all this medical research that's now being blended with, with food and, and food science and sort of like how can we leverage that to recreate food as we know it. Um, soil culture is very similar where you you're leveraging medical technologies to produce um, food again so I think it's this you know this heightening of of, of science and sort of blending of, of sciences to to find new solutions to to these age-old problems and I think you know we're, we are under pressure to to find solutions um, but I think people are just starting to think more creatively and just taking technologies from fields that they're not typically found in which is which is so cool yeah 
I mean, it sounds like a maturity of the science, right? The science has been there, but how many people knew how to use the science, right? And now we have a new generation coming up who has gone through, got their doctorates, knows how to leverage it, is also like very aware of sustainability practices and all of this stuff is coming together. And there's there's more than a handful of people like yourself, right? Like there's people all over the world who are trying to make make their dent uh, on every corner of it. And it sounds like it's just, it's been a process to get there. And now it just feels like there's so much from my point of view, there's so much interesting stuff happening. This is why we do this podcast because there's so many interesting people to talk to doing different stuff. So um, that yeah. sounds like it's a good time. I mean, it could it have happened years ago? Yeah, it could have, but we didn't have enough people who knew how to, it's just, it's just a progression, right? I think it's also got a lot to do with funding. I mean, you know, the, the funding's really started pouring into the space, um, which allows companies to start innovating and, and more and more companies start popping up. Like in the medical space and pharmaceuticals has always been funding, um, and I think it's quite interesting that food and food tech is, and agri-tech even is just growing and, and people are starting to put money in and these innovative business models and funding models to sort of like work with this, this um, you know, this age old, you know, food system and how can we recreate it? So I think I think funding has also just accelerated the space tremendously. That's cool. What has yeah. been the most rewarding part um, of DeNovo so far? Um, aside from just, you know, innovating on a daily basis, I think as a founder, I think it's really cool to to build your own team. I think I under underestimated that initially. Uh, when you work in a corporate company, you're just stuck with the people you're stuck with. I think it's been really cool to to pick people that you want to work with and that are like minded and, you know, as excited about the 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 challenge as you are. And I think that's that's been that's been the most rewarding, um, which took me by surprise because as a technical person, I thought the science would be the most exciting thing. But yeah, the people, the people have been awesome. That's cool. In my experience, yeah. it's the most frustrating, but it's also the most rewarding. So it's <laughs> like the highs and lows. They're higher and they're also lower. So but if you get good people, it's typically higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll hit some some bad ones too, but we've been lucky so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you if you take a step back and just look at DeNovo five or 10 years down the road or the industry as a whole down the road, are there things that you're looking forward to? Are there like predictions that you have? You're like, oh, I think I think we're going to go there as an industry or as a company. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the industry, because I think at the moment, everyone's sort of just pitching their silver bullet. And I think I think that's in five, 10 years time, people are going to realize there's no such thing. Um, and it's just going to become this hybrid of solutions. And I think, you know, that comes with its challenges because, you know, the food system's designed in such a, you know, robust way. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to have to start bringing new ways of doing things and it's going to be a combination of solutions. And I think that's very exciting, um, but it's challenging. And I think, yeah, that's where I see it going. I think it's not going to be, you know, one size fits all. It's going to be a whole bunch of things. And People are just going to have to adapt and figure out new ways to do things. And I think that's very exciting. As yeah, a scientist, that's very exciting. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's it's a there's so many roles to be played. And sometimes, you know, to get us to get a solution out there, it's going to take four different players. And we're aware of three. And now we're, we're missing this one. Who's going to come in and do this one? Do does one of those other companies step up? Is somebody else working on this? Like, actually, there is someone over here. We just didn't know about that. So. I agree with you on that. I don't think there's there's no silver bullets. It's just lead bullets, and you got to collect all of them uh, to put it together. 
got to catch them all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same with a lot of things, right? Like it's just, there's usually not one simple solution. It's just a lot of players have to kind of do their part, especially in something as complicated as a food system, right? Like there's, there's technology, there's distribution, there's the marketing of it. There's all, all, there's so much, there's so much. So yeah, I agree with that. I also think, I also agree with your, uh, there's not one future, it's just many futures, right? Like there's so many different ways this is going to go. Yeah, I think that's that's cool. It's unpredictable, but it's it's very cool. Um, yeah, I but think, it gives an opportunity for all of us to play a, a part. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just you just never know what's what's going to come. I mean, who who would have thought medicine would have come into to the food space? Like it's it's pretty wild. Um, I think you know we we just the fastest way to accelerate it will just be through through government intervention. Like at the moment. You know, no one's really forced to do anything. But if, if you look at South Africa, we have um, we have sugar tax now on our beverages. And that's really forced um, basically all the beverage producers to to um, reduce the sugar inputs. And now they're looking at novel solutions. And that just from a health perspective is so much better already. And that's just from government intervention. And that sort of stuff is really what's going to drive innovation, um, you know, across the board. So ho- hopefully Europe catches up. I think they're just they're. They're out-regulating innovation at the moment. Yeah. What's your take on that? Do you Are you a fan of some regulatory nudges or do you kind of like a little bit more hands-off and, and let the kind of free market take its effect? Like, do you have strong thoughts on that or no? Yeah, I do. I, well, I think, you know, like the States, for example, with their, their grass, I think you need to show that you're, what you're doing is safe. Um, but I don't think it needs to take five years because that's just, you know, crazy when you're looking at a global climate crisis, you don't really have five years to to figure those sorts of things out. Um, and most companies won't last five years um, and their innovation will die. So I think I think it's very stifling um, and very old school. I think they just need to get the right expertise in so that it can go faster. I think they're just being held back by, by not having the right people there to sort of evaluate it. Old methods. Yeah, and like you can't have that if you want to move forward, right? Like it's just not it's just not going to get the ball rolling fast enough. Hey everyone, we've learned a lot from this podcast series and we've put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. You can grab them at nativedigital.com/resources.